You are listening to Culture Machine Live, a podcast series dedicated to discussions of culture and theory. To find out more about the open access electronic journal Culture Machine, visit www.culturemachine.net. I'm speaking today with Federica Frabetti. Frabetti is a senior lecturer in communication, media and culture at Oxford Brookes University. She has a diverse professional and academic background in humanities and ICT and has worked for a decade as a software engineer in telecommunications companies. She has published numerous articles on the cultural study of technology, digital media and software studies, cultural theory and gender and queer theory. She edited a special issue of the academic journal Culture Machine on the digital humanities beyond computing and she's an editor and translator of the Judith Halberstam Reader. Her most recent publication is the monograph Software Theory, a Cultural and Philosophical Study, which was published by Roman and Littlefield International. In this interview, I'm going to ask her some questions about the materiality of software, code and writing, deconstructive readings of technology, the originary technicity of the post-human, and the politics and ethics of software. So, first question. So, if you look back at your career as a researcher, in what ways have you seen your research practice over the year change, or not, in relation to your interaction with new media and digital tools? And in what ways do you think your own development in this respect is indicative of changing research practices within the humanities as a whole? And I'm, I'm mostly thinking about uh, the emergence in recent years of areas such as the digital humanities and the use of tools and softwares which are associated with computing science, uh, mostly to study the humanities and literacy uh, cultural and filmic texts and corpora. Yes, um, I, I trained as a classicist and as a philologist and only later became a software engineer and later again I became interested in cultural and media studies mm -hmm. and the philosophy of technology. Um, so when people ask me about the digital humanities, I still tend to say that I don't do digital humanities in the strict sense yeah. of the word, as in the use of computational tools to analyse corpora. Sure. Because, uh, but at the same time, it is also true that we all do digital humanities today because there is no way to be in the humanities without taking into account digitality. So I often wonder how did people do research before Google, for example. Mm -hmm. And of course we did. Um, I belong to a generation that started out academically um, using manual typewriters and index cards. But today there is no way for scholars to be outside of the realm of digitality, not even if you write your first draft longhand or um, prefer to read traditional books. Yeah. Um, so there has never been a way, I think, to be a scholar in the humanities without using some kind of technology. Um, and this opposition between technology and the humanities has a long history, mm -hmm. which is rooted in the opposition between philosophy and technology, between knowledge perceived as a search for the truth and technology perceived as just an instrument yeah. for research. Um, and this opposition has turned today into a celebration um, of the integration of digital technology into the, in the humanities as something absolutely new. Yeah. Uh, but such novelty is not absolute. Um, a lot of the computational analysis of corpora rest on a fundamentally structuralist way of, of thinking about texts. Yeah. Um, so I, for example, um, encountered this way of thinking already in the 80s when I was um, studying classics in Italy. Mm -hmm. And I was very interested by the experimental use of computers to analyse texts then. 
so, and then at the beginning of the 1990s, I retrained as a software engineer and began a decade of writing software for mobile communications in different industries. And I realized with even more excitement that software engineers actually just wrote and read texts. And, and reading other people's software um, and editing was the main way in which I trained myself into writing my software. Um, so I find it very interesting that I was so into computers when I was a scholar in the humanities and in turn not completely satisfied with the technical explanations of software when I was working as an engineer. And this is why I went back to the academy, to be able to ask different questions of technology than the merely technical ones. But I went back to the humanities only to find them under the definitive spell of computers. So it is like technology has been haunting me throughout my life. But of course, technology has always haunted the humanities. Um, and I am particularly interested precisely in problematizing the distinction between technology and the humanities, technology and philosophy. Um, and this is a self-reflective practice of which there is still not enough in, in the digital humanities. Yeah. So when I think of my practices, I do not just think of how scholarly practices have changed, uh, but also of the many intersections between reading and writing practices in, in what we still think of the technical and the non-technical yeah. fields. Um, and I believe that computation and the humanities should not be thought as two separate entities whose relations can be defined once and for all. Um, on the contrary, I think the digital humanities need to keep the very question of the relations between the humanities and technology open. And in fact, I think that the humanities um, have the ability to question and challenge the traditional way in which we think technology. So instead of transferring computational models into the humanities unproblematically, mm -hmm. the digital humanities should question inherited conceptual frameworks regarding technology. And this would be, in fact, their point of strength. Yeah. All right, let's go to the second question. Now. Um, so in your recent book, Software Theory, uh, you offer an alternative genealogy of software. Um, so you do so by providing a deconstructive reading in which you go in search of software's point of opacity and that where it undoes itself, basically. Uh, so to explore the meaning of software and to critique the binary distinctions that are still often upheld between technology and society, materiality and writing, and yeah, like humanities and technology, as you just explained. By means of this deconstructive reading, you saw that both writing and software are always already material through their iterative uses, so inscriptions, for instance, of science and code. Um, so could you perhaps expand briefly on how you came to this conclusion um, and how your deconstructive reading differs in this respect from other readings of software's becoming, um, including those that have been put forward by, for instance, Catherine Ann Hales, Lev Manowich, Wendy Chun, uh, or those associated with critical code studies? Yes, um, software theory um, stems from my desire uh, to take a different approach to the study of software than the one adopted um, mainly by media and cultural studies, which focuses on practices of production, uh, re reception and consumption of digital technologies and, and digital media. Um, and this is an approach that goes back to the classical debate between Raymond Williams and Marshall McLuhan on the concepts of technology and medium. Um, the dominant perspective of media and cultural studies is still that to study technology culturally 
um, means to follow the trajectory of a particular technological object in order to understand how it is made meaningful. Yeah. Um, so meaning is understood as coming not from the technological object itself, but from the way it is represented in the discourses surrounding it. And so you bring the technical object into meaning, um, and by doing so, you constitute it as a cultural artefact. So this approach has been substantially inherited by software and code studies. Mm -hmm. um, and even that, one of the, of the, of the commonly uh, uh, declared aims of software and code studies is to address software itself or, or code itself. But it seems to me that these fields constantly alternate between searching for social and, and cultural meanings in software on the one end and offering technical explanations of how software works yeah. on the other hand. Um, so th there is an ambivalence between the technical and the social, which, which for me, characterizes the whole field of software and code studies. And you find individual academic contributions which may emphasize one or the other aspect, um, but ultimately they tend to turn to the technical to explain the social and to the social to then explain the, the, the technical. So uh, th these studies... Uh, of software tend to combine the, the analysis of practices around software with um, historical and cultural um, exposition yeah. of how software works. So my intent in software theory is to take these historical and cultural narratives um, and technical narratives on software as a starting point yeah. rather than as a final one, mm -hmm. and to problematize them rather than treat them as explanatory. Um, and this, in turn, helps me problematize the whole um, intertwining of the technical and the social um, that preoccupies software yeah. studies. Um, but at the same time, um, I'm not trying to advance any sweeping ontological claim on, um, about what software really is. And, and I try instead to engage in, in a critical examination of these alleged relations between software on the one end and ontology and materiality on the other, which, as you suggest, um, are, for example, one of the uh, bases of uh, Catherine Hale's argument on software. Um, so what I do in software theory is um, examining the conceptual framework on which software is based um, in order to show how it has been constituted mm -hmm. and how, to a certain extent, it is always on the verge of um, undoing itself or becoming undone, um, and, and thus has to be reconstituted over and over again. And in my book, theory functions as a synonym for um, a deconstructive tradition that goes back to Jacques Derrida, but it also indicates a, a broader engagement with continental philosophy on the question of technology. Um, so I take a deconstructive approach to um, the examination of technical literature and computer code um, in order to show how software has become what it is through this process of constant self-redefinition. Um, in this way, I, 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 I try to show how software cannot be fully understood merely as an instrument because it functions according to a logic that is never just human. Mm -hmm. And so it always escapes and exceeds its instrumentality, even though we need to reassert its instrumentality continually in order to make it usable as software. 
so ultimately, I try to propose an understanding of software as constitutive of the very concept of the human, which I understand is always already machinic, yeah. and so always already artificial to yeah. a certain extent. So let's go to the third question. Why are you so interested in deconstruction when the privileging of software has often been part of this more general shift in contemporary theory and philosophy away from the study of language, literature, writing and text and towards an emphasis on the material, so from hardware and software to their physical supports and material substrates and even what you say like how software works, you know, that kind of uh, aspect. Uh, so this is a shift that is often associated with emerging fields such as media archaeology and new materialism, for instance. I'm just wondering how radical this gesture is, actually. Because doesn't your undermining of any of these kind of simplistic oppositions between writing and materiality create problems for any such materialist term? Yeah, um, it is very important for me to answer this question mm -hmm. because uh, I think there has been a lot of um, misconstruction, um, a lot of misunderstanding of what goes under the name of deconstruction yeah. in, in, very, in, very, in many academic fields. So let me start by saying that we can deploy a deconstructive methodology and at the same time firmly believe in the materiality of matter, yeah. um, in the materiality of the world, of the economy, of technology, and, and of course in the materiality of software. Um, adopting a deconstructionist methodology does not mean that one does not believe that the world is material and that materiality matters. Mm -hmm. And it does not mean that one thinks that everything boils down to language. Mm -hmm. um, in software theory, I actually try to wrench deconstruction out of the linguistic turn um, in the humanities and to bring it back to its roots, which I believe take into consideration materiality, yeah. starting with the materiality of language and on what Derrida calls the trace. Yeah. Um, and I think it is important to extricate deconstruction from its misrepresentation as linguistic reductionism uh, because deconstruction, as I see it, is an incredibly powerful um, strategy for thinking reality without rushing into positing new, ontology, new ontologies in a too unproblematic way. So for me, deconstruction is basically a strategy to, um, for working with a conceptual framework while at the same time pointing to its limits. And, and those studies of software which um, draw on new materialism, media archaeology and object-oriented philosophy uh, tend to present software as a material entity uh, or a material process which spreads into economics, politics and the logic of control society as an immanent force. Yeah. Um, and they tend to ontologize software as the condition of possibility mm -hmm. of contemporary life. Um, so my question is, to what extent shall we privilege software in this respect? Um, why shall we privilege software studies as a master discourse capable of making visible you know, something otherwise hidden? Um, on what basis can software be said to constitute the conditions for revealing the truth of society? Um, so, rather than proposing an ontology of software, in software theory I take a view that problematizes some of the ontologies of software proposed by software studies, as well as by software engineering, by the theory of programming languages, by other technical fields. By no means um, do I try to erase the materiality of software or the materiality of language and signification, but instead I suggest that we examine the ways in which we stabilize 
software at, at certain moments in time through our material interactions with it, precisely by showing how the conceptual system that allows for such stabilization comes into existence and can also be undone. So if your question is, can one be a deconstructionist and a materialist, I would definitely answer the question in the affirmative. All right, thank you. Question four. So, as you already explained, opposing the idea of technology as an instrument, you focus on Derrida's notion of the originary technicity of the human being, um, in which technology is seen as being constitutive of the concept of the human. Um, so, can you provide us with some examples of how the human, or the post-human, is constituted through software? Yes, um, it seems to me that your question here is in what sense is software not just an instrument? Um, in, in software theory, I, I do focus on the idea that human genesis is always really a technogenesis and that human beings um, emerge only with and through technology. Mm -hmm. um, and the thinkers of originary technicity suggest that technology is not just an instrument the humans deploy for their own ends, but Instead, the human is always already artificial, always already produced through what, for example, Bernard Stiegler calls epiphylogenetic memory. Yeah. Uh, so all technologies somehow embodied memory. And it is only through technology that we gain access to the experiences of others that we have not, not lived. Um, so for example, the typical example that, that Stiegler gives is a card stone used as a knife preserves the act of cutting, thus becoming a support for memory. So in this sense, technology is the condition of the constitution of our relation to the past. So I try to understand software in the context of this idea that technology is the condition of possibility of consciousness, which in turn draws on Derrida's and Stiegler's rereading of Husserl. So the kind of questions I ask of software are, for example, what kind of temporality becomes accessible to us through software? Mm -hmm. What kind of relation to ourselves do we establish through software? What kind of embodiment? How is the body materialized by software and with software? Yeah. And in what ways is one constituted by software while at the same time producing and using it? And at a pivotal place is occupied by the concept of linearization here, because the history of software is to a certain extent the history of these um, repeated attempts to linearize, measure, and control software in order to make it work. And at the same time, it is the history of how we need to unleash the potential that software has to function autonomously, uh, through which software escapes its linearization. Uh, so we could say that, that the way we experience ourselves through software partakes in this unstable um, equilibrium. Yeah. Of course, the way programmers experienced themselves, say in the 60s, while dealing with punched cards and um, paper, yeah. was different than that, for example, of an open source programmer working with object-oriented languages and libraries uh, at the end of the 90s. And an end user of commercial software, say somebody using a word processor, mm -hmm. um, has a different experience than a low-level programmer trying to engage with the, the, the inhuman speed of the micro-temporality of machine code. So what we need to ask is, what sense of ourselves and the world do we gain through the technologies we use? 
and this question has become particularly pressing today because it looks like we can only emerge as human beings in contemporary society through this entanglement of information, of opaque algorithms mm -hmm. and, and data, um, which are all in turn subjected to a logic of profit. So if today's software is, is so deeply involved in the constitution of bodies, as well as in the preservation of memory, so in deciding what is visible, what is traceable, what is memorable, what must be selected, stored and transmitted, and if all this is subjected to the economic laws of profit, in what sense is politics still possible? What spaces for embodied self-reflection, critique and intervention are still open? And the word intervention here is, is pivotal. So, for example, um, I am involved with Jaime del Val um, in this European project mm -hmm. now called Metabody, in which um, a group of, of computer scientists, of artists and performers yeah. are trying to develop software that goes beyond the way in which software traditionally maps movement, um, which is always an abstraction. Yeah. Um, and the aim is to produce a different kind of embodied software, which somehow enables people to experience themselves differently and to perform in ways that escape this current global arrangement of information we live in. Okay, so question five. I'm very interested in your depiction of the apparatic nature of software. Um, so here you use the metaphor of the pharmacon uh, as theorized by Jacques Derrida and Bernard Stiegler to characterize the uncalculability of software as being both a risk and an opportunity. Um, so the metaphor of the pharmacon, as Derrida has shown, kind of transcends dualisms by subsuming the difference between inside and outside, externality and internality. So as you argued, we have to take responsibility for the decisions we make concerning software to assess whether something should be perceived as an error, a bug, uh, or as a potential new systemic feature or iteration. Um, so for you, as you also explained, these choices also govern the politics of software uh, and constitute the reinvention of the political in general. Uh, and maybe you can talk about this a bit more, uh, focusing on the political, because you have focused on this a little bit already. Um, but what I also wanted to ask is, how can we make sure that we not obscure this uncalculability of software. Because as your book makes clear, this refers to a situation in which through the decisions that we make concerning software, we kind of run in the risk of stabilizing it again, of uh, reintroducing binaries uh, such as those that you identify between technology and society, materiality and writing. So what is your position concerning the ethics of software in this respect, and particularly in relation to making these kind of responsible politically informed decisions in relation to software. So, in other words, how can we engage ethically with this tension between the uncalculability of software and our kind of inherently violent cuts and interruptions and in decisions? When I say that software has an operatic nature, I want to indicate how difficult it is, um, and even relatively unhelpful maybe, to, to look for the ultimate and universal definition of mm -hmm. software. Um, so I think it makes no sense to ask whether software is really language or um, really code or even just hardware, as um, Friedrich Hitler uh, says. Yeah. Um, instead, a more productive approach, I think, is to engage in a process of analysis um, of singular 
forms singular instances of software. And this analysis, as I said, should be deconstructive in the sense that it should aim at making visible the process of indefinite differentiation through which software is, is constituted. Yeah. So uh, saying that there is no truth of software is the same as saying that there is no privileged point of view from which software can be understood once and for all. Yeah. Um, and this is what I mean when I suggest that software is, a, is a poetic. Um, as you just said, the other consequence of thinking software as, as a poetic is that this constant self-differentiation of software also entails what I, I, I have called the, the unpredictability yeah. of software. So there is a, this unstoppable process of self-differentiation, and in this process, some of the reinscriptions of software cannot be anticipated yeah. from the point of view of the human that takes part in the process. Uh, so, for example, from the point of view of the programmer or the user. Um, in fact, the moment when one realizes that software is not functioning as expected and decides to intervene or, on this unexpected functioning, corresponds to the moment in which the human emerges from and through its interaction with the technical. Uh, so the moment we become aware of some unexpected consequences of software, the moment we are surprised mm -hmm. by software, is the moment when we form a point of view yeah. on software, which apparatically separates us yeah. from ourselves from, from software. Um, so as you said, um, I think that the most important unexpected consequences of software are not straightforward malfunctions um, or failures, but, but those that make it, make it difficult for us to tell whether software is malfunctioning or not. And in these moments, when, when technology appears to be almost broken or almost functioning, um, moments when we are forced to ask, does it work? What is it doing? Yeah. Um, is it broken? These moments are points of opacity, to use Derrida's term, and, and they reveal the underlying assumptions of software, the ones that, that we rely upon in order to make software um, uh, intelligible. Yeah. Once these assumptions are transgressed, and they will always be transgressed because they are inherently unstable, once they are transgressed, we need to make a decision. We need to make a decision in order to re-establish some intelligibility of technology, yeah. but this decision is not a technical decision. So, for example, we need um, to classify a malfunction, um, uh, to classify something as a malfunction and correct it, or to make space for a different understanding of technology which allows for that behavior not to be a malfunction. Mm -hmm. um, so, such decision is always also an intervention. And this is why I say that points of opacity are also political opportunities. Um, because software interrogates constantly the framework we use to make technology um, intelligible. And it invites us to take action. Now, how do we not obscure the incalculability of software and the decisions we make regarding it? This is the question. Um, and, and the ethics and the politics of software, for me, have to deal with this attention to the constant process of stabilization and destabilization of software in which we are all um, entangled. Uh, think of it as the moment when you pick the version of a certain system you want to use, even if it is an open system mm -hmm. such as Linux or a commercial system. Um, so a version or, or a release is a stabilization of software in times. In time, so it contains many decisions. Yeah. 
it, it, it freezes software at a certain moment in time, it forecloses endless possibilities. Um, you need to stabilize software in order to be able to use it, sure. but the fact that piece of software is stabilized in a certain way doesn't mean that it could not have been otherwise. So I think that what we need to we need to avoid is a politics of software and an ethics of software uh, that that are conceived as a fix, yeah. um, as a set of fixes meant to solve ethical and political questions regarding software once and for all. Um, I am thinking again of very urgent questions here: the question of surveillance, the question of control, question of privacy, of what is visible and accessible to whom, under what circumstances, for what purposes. Um, and I think what we need to avoid when dealing with these pressing questions is the formulation of prescriptive ethics yeah. and politics, which would be something more akin to formalism than to analysis. So what we need instead is a close analysis of how certain decisions come into being, what they foreclose, what they open up, and what we can do with them. All right, so the last question. So in software theory, you analyze software as a form of writing. Um, well, she put it there, a historically specific conception of software has co-emerged together with writing and code. Um, so I'm very interested, for instance, in the section in Software Theory in which you describe how the software engineer, Frederick Brooks, calls the different texts that were produced in the various stages of software development, or the kind of various written specifications of software, the book. Um, so here Brooks kind of institutes the book, as you write, as the foundation of the history of the software system, a poignantly biblical image. So. Brooks' conceptualization of the book is inherently paper and codex-based, uh, from which you deduct that paper-shaped software. And so I was wondering, uh, getting back to your idea of the co-emergence of, of writing and code, whether you could reflect on how writing similarly emerged in relation to software and code. So how has software shaped writing and the book? Um, in my practice as a software engineer, um, I have seen software shaping writing in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, as I said, it is a process of interrelation yeah. um, in which software and writing emerge together and the one does not pre-exist the other. Um, so, for example, the kind of writing you find in the NATO reports on software engineering at the end of the 60s could only have emerged in relation to the kind of software that was discussed then, the state of the art of technology. Mm -hmm. Um, the comments you find interspersed in computer programs depend on the nature of those programs, and no such form of writing existed prior to yeah. them. So co comments are portions of, of text inserted in software, um, enclosed by certain symbols, so they are not processed by compilers yeah. and they are excluded from execution. Uh, so comments are, are, are there just to communicate with other programmers with, which we might or might not look at the software in the future. Um, th there are some kind of ghostly human presence in software mm. um, which might clarify certain aspects of this human technical complex in the eyes of some absent readers. And, and so it is a unique form of writing, yeah. uniquely shaped by, by software. And of course technology shapes writing. Um, what I write on a laptop will always be different from what I write on paper, mm -hmm. and, and that in turn depends on the kind of software I use, which influences my embodied experience of writing 
as well as the rhythm and the pace of my uh, thinking, of my raising, of my uh, going back and, and moving mm -hmm. forward. Uh, um, and this is also, again, the question of the digital humanities yeah. and why it is important to question the computational models we, we adopt. So um, I'm thinking of Alan Liu, um, who um, suggested that the digital humanities are part of a quest for the new in the humanities, yeah. which in turn is part of the discourse on how to make uh, the humanities viable within the logic of the neoliberal university. Um, and Liu understands the chase for the new in the humanities as part of this chase for the new in business, technology, fashion, art, the media. And, and he points out how the logic of, of management and flexibility has infiltrated the digital humanities. And he suggests that the digital humanities resist efficiency um, by way of alternative values. Uh, so, for example, um, against the value of saying uh, anything efficiently, the value of saying anything richly or openly or kindly yeah. or slowly. Um, and Joanna Dracker also has, has warned uh, the humanities against the, this premise of objectivity embodied uh, by computational methodologies. Yeah. So she says that uh, the infatuation of the humanities with computation uh, falls in the tradition of Mathesis Universalis yeah. um, and, and, and fostered by the, the intellectual assumptions of British analytical philosophy and the Vienna Circle and structural yeah. linguistics. Um, so, uh, but, but what I'm trying to say is actually that the humanities uh, do not rest on a clearly uh, identifiable set of, of common values. Um, neatly distinguishable from technology or even opposed to technological yeah. concepts. Because after all, the humanities have always been concerned with technology uh, because the access to every text is always mediated by technology, yeah. by writing, for example. So again, um, I think that seeing the process does not mean seeing only the process. It does not mean ignoring the cuts in the process, yeah. the specificities. But we need to look at the stabilization of the relationship between technology and writing, or software and writing, in their singularity. Um, and perhaps, since the university is becoming more and more uh, just another knowledge-based organization, mm. um, subjected to rules of efficiency and flexibility, maybe the digital humanities are a space where we can question uh, this model of rationality that goes with the commodification of knowledge. Um, so in this sense, questioning instrumentality is also an essential step toward uh, reaffirming the role of the university as a public sphere. You are listening to Culture Machine Live, a podcast series dedicated to discussions of culture and theory. To find out more about the open access electronic journal Culture Machine, visit www.culturemachine.net